Throughout his time on earth, Jesus told people, follow me. Let's take a look at the scripture, Matthew 4. One day, as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called to them and said, come, read it with me, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other uh, brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, repairing their nets, and he called them too to come. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Now, autobiographically, the writer Matthew tells us that as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up, and what did he do? Read it with me. Followed him. In Jesus' time, when a rabbi, a religious teacher, which that's what Jesus was, when a rabbi asked someone to follow him, it was seen as an honor because uh, it was an offer of unlimited access to this rabbi to uh, the student. It's not only giving them access to ask questions, but they also lived with the rabbi. They experienced firsthand how the rabbi lived. They, they um, Becoming a follower required that they would make a commitment to submit to his authority, the rabbi's authority. It filled every day with opportunities to learn from the rabbi. And so disciples went where their rabbi went. Disciples slept where their rabbi slept. They ate what he ate. They took on their rabbi's passions and desires and beliefs. This is the kind of relationship that Jesus is inviting people to experience when he says, follow me. When he says, not only way back then, but even to us today, when he says, follow me. He's inviting us into that kind of experience. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Hopefully you have your full page outline to follow along, fill in the blanks. There's a lot of blanks to fill in and a lot of scripture that we're going to hit really quickly today. Okay, so here we go. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Get this down. First off, following Jesus is believing in him. Following Jesus is believing in him, that he is who he says he is. Eventually, the disciples learned that they weren't just following a rabbi. They realized that Jesus was the promised Messiah. In fact, Peter says in Matthew 16, he tells Jesus, you are the, the, the Christ, the son of the living God. The apostle Paul says in Romans 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Next, get this one. Following Jesus is obeying what he says. Well, Christians today can't physically follow Jesus because he's not here on earth. We can't do it physically like the disciples did. Jesus makes it clear that following him includes obeying what he says. Look what Jesus says. If you continue to obey my teaching, you are truly my what? Followers. It's clear. I think it's interesting that Jesus emphasizes the difference between hearing and obeying, hearing and doing. All too often we listen, but we don't obey. And that's what he's addressing in Matthew chapter 7. Look what Jesus says. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, there's that word, is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But... Anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish 
Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rain and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Next, get this one down. Following Jesus is trusting him for everything. Trusting him for everything. Jesus not only lived a life of faith for his disciples to see, but he called them to put their faith, their trust in God with their everyday lives. Many of us know this passage in Matthew 6. Jesus says, I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, Jesus says. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you, come on, read this with me, everything you need. Hmm. You know, one of the saddest commentaries on the church in the West is our lack of trust in Jesus. I'm right in the middle of a book right now reading about what's going on in China. And I'm fascinated how God is moving and how people are putting their trust in God even though they have to hide for their life. We really, in the West, we in the church, we don't know what it's like to really trust God like that. It's, it's a lack of faith in the source of everything that we have. I mean, how many of us really live each day with a confident trust in Jesus? How many of us really wake up in the morning thinking that God's going to provide everything we need? Or are we running out to get it ourselves? Hmm. This is following Jesus, trusting him for everything. But even more, get this one down, following Jesus is doing what he does. Not just what he says, but doing what he does. Now, I'm not saying you should try to, you know, walk on water. Don't go down to Mission Bay today and try to walk on water because it's not going to happen. Jet skis are going to have to rescue you, right? Don't don't go somewhere and spit in a guy's face as you pray for his healing because Jesus did that. No, 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 no. Don't stop a funeral, you know, go to the local funeral home and stop a funeral and make them open the casket because you're going to raise him back to life like Jesus did. No, no, no. I'm I'm not saying that. Yes, God wants to do amazing things through us, and he says in his word that he will even do greater things through us. But more than that, he wants you and me to become like his son Jesus. God wants us to live our lives like Jesus lived, specifically in the areas of living by faith, living through serving, and living in love. Faith, serving, and love. Those are the things that we see prominent in Jesus. I mean, Jesus sets these examples for us to follow, and he even tells us I'm setting an example, so follow this, do this. Look what he points out in John 13. Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down, and he said, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. That's what the titles that were given to rabbis. You call me teacher, Lord, rabbi, master. 
You call me these things because that's what I am, Jesus says. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I, look at this, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I've given you an example to follow. Jesus emphasizes a life of serving. Now, we're not to take that literally necessarily and go try to wash people's feet around us, but we are called to serve them. We are called, based on the example that he gave, to give of ourselves and serve. And in that same environment, that same night, that same setting, look at what Jesus says to his followers. Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love each other. You must love each other, look at this, as I have loved you. All people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. Again, Jesus emphasizes loving each other based on his example of loving us. And my question to you, my question to myself is, is that the way that I love people? Do I love people like Jesus loves me? Ultimately, following Jesus is becoming like him. You need to get that one down. Following Jesus is becoming like him. The goal of discipleship is to become like Jesus, to be marked by a passion for God and a compassion for people. In following Jesus, you can't stay the same. You don't stay the same. You have to change if you are following Jesus. You have to become more and more like Jesus every day of your life. And if you are not becoming more and more like Jesus tomorrow than you were today, friends, listen to me, you are not following Jesus because you can't stay the same. If you are the same person today that you were a year ago, the same person today that you were five years ago, in your attitudes, in your actions, your thought life, your relationships, if you're the same, if you're not changing, I question if you're following Jesus. Because if you're following Jesus, you're changing. I mean, think about it. You can't stay in the same place if you're following someone, right? Hmm. This is God's plan. The Apostle Paul says God decided from the outset. I love this in the message paraphrase. God decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines is the life of his son. He decided to shape you and I along the lines of the life of his son. He wants to make us like Jesus. So believing, obeying, doing, trusting, becoming. That's following Jesus. This is what Jesus means when he says, follow me. That's what Jesus means when he calls you and I to follow him, believing obeying, doing, trusting, becoming. Take a look at what Jesus shared with his disciples. Just before he left planet earth and returned to heaven, look at what Jesus shared. Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and said, all power in heaven and on earth is given to me, so go and make followers of all people in the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have taught you, and I will be with you always. And from this, this passage, Matthew 28, and some other passages, we have put together 
over the last several years, a mission statement for Pathway Church. Some of you may know it. It's on every bit of our printed material. It's on our online material. It's all over the place. If you know it, say it with me. Helping people follow Jesus through the local church. Now you know it, so let's read it together. Helping people follow Jesus through the local church. So how do we help people follow Jesus? It's a good question. At Pathway, one of the ways that we want to help people follow Jesus is by making things understandable so people can be involved. I mean, think about this. If, if you don't understand something, it's very difficult to be involved in it, right? Everybody follow my logic on that? If you don't understand how something works, it's very very difficult to be involved with it. If you don't understand a relationship, it's very difficult to, to be involved in it. If you don't understand a job, it's very difficult to be involved in it. And, that, and that's the way it is in life. There are many things that we do at Pathway Church to make things understandable. And, and there's a, a list of things that I could bring this morning, but I, I, I kind of wanted to reach for just the, the low-hanging fruit, the one thing that we really work hard, not only in our Kidsway classes, but also in this room. We really work hard at, at making things understandable by how we say things. Um, ever been in a place where two people are talking? Supposedly, these two people are supposed to be helping you, but they are talking in a different language amongst themselves and you do not understand that language, and you're standing there kind of lost and clueless because you don't understand what they're saying. Ever been there before? I had that happen just recently. It was at an eating, um, a fast, not a fast food, but a, a, an eating place here locally. I won't tell you where it was because the food is good, but this particular day, the service was very poor. And I'm at the counter, and I'm, and I'm wanting to order, and many of you know that I kind of have a restricted diet, so I'm this was my first time, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, how, how, can I, how can I do this and still stay within my diet framework? And so I'm kind of figuring this out, and, and I'm asking questions, and I could tell that the cashier was getting a little bit irritated with me, and I, actually, I looked back, and there was no one behind me, so it's not like she's trying to move me along, you know, and, but she was getting very irritated with me. I could see it on her face, and, and all at once, she turned to someone that was over here kind of serving food, and she said something to them in another language. And then she looked back at me, and I noticed this person then looked over at me and chuckled under their breath. And, and I stood there, and I was thinking, oh, I so wish I knew what they were saying right now. I mean, I wish all of a sudden I had the ability to know that language so that I could say, I know what you're saying, <laughs> right? Because I, I was outside the loop. I was clueless. And it, it was very frustrating, irritating to not know what they were saying. And I knew they were talking about me. And to be honest, it could have been saying something nice. They could have been saying, wow, he's so good looking. I don't know what they were saying. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I like his shirt. Or I don't know. They could have been saying something nice. I don't think so. But they could have been saying something nice about me. But I didn't know that. Because I didn't understand them. Everybody follow that? Unfortunately, we do this in church a lot. Now, I'm just talking to us church people. If, you, you know, if church is a new thing to you, maybe this is your first time, or maybe you're coming back to church or whatever, and you know, I'm not necessarily hitting you with this. This is, for, this is for some of us who have been in church for, let's say, more than like 10 years. Because um, 
we have a tendency to use language and phrases in church that are a little bit hard to understand. You know what this is called? This is called Christianese. This is a language in a subculture that is real. In fact, I found out how real it was. I googled the word Christianese, and do you know that Wikipedia actually has an article, a whole page, about Christianese? Let me read a little bit of what Wikipedia says. Christianese refers to the terms and jargon used within many of the branches of Christianity. It is characterized by certain words, not necessarily from the Bible, which are used in everyday conversation in ways that may be only comprehensible within the context of a particular Christian group. Most researchers hold that Christianese is incomprehensible or off-putting to outsiders and suggest that it is possible to express all Christian truth in neutral, understandable language. I agree. And that's what we try to do at Pathway Church all the time. Because if we're not careful, we start speaking a language people don't understand. I, I went to church. I've went to church all my life. So I have a vast vocabulary. Every one of those phrases that they talked about, you may be watching that video that we were just watching, you go, I have no idea what they're talking about. Every one of those phrases I know. Now, I haven't necessarily said them, but I know what they mean. And I could probably give you a list of another thousand or more phrases from church life, church world, church experience. I have a list of Christianese that I am constantly trying to fight back in my life. So please pray for me as I try to give up this weird language, right? Some of the phrases just recently that I'm kind of working on, trying to eliminate in my life and using them, one is washed in the blood. Okay, now if you're a church person, you know what that's talking about. It's talking about the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And, and the Bible says that through his blood that he shed on the cross, we find forgiveness in life. And we know all that. But when you just throw this phrase out, out of context, I got to be honest with you, it sounds kind of gross to be washed in blood, right? This one is another one that I'm trying to change. And I've heard this from since I was a kid. Ask Jesus into your heart. My question is, why does he have to go in there? It's, 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 it's confusing to people who are not used to this. Uh, one that I'm really working hard, and I had a really fun time with my wife this week. I'm having my quiet time. Um, not too long ago when Caleb, our son, was little, Dee Dee said this to him, Caleb, you need to leave mommy alone. I'm, ha I'm having my quiet time. You know what Caleb said to her? I'll be quiet yeah, that's cute, isn't it? But isn't that kind of the way we think? What does that exactly mean? I, I'm trying to use the phrase, if you want to know what I'm substituting, I'm trying to use the phrase, daily time alone with God. And you say, okay, this is silly, Bart. Come on. This is just semantics. It's just words. Yes. But they are words that people don't understand. And if we use them in church, we can keep people from following Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that. I want to see as many people follow him as possible. Another way we help people follow Jesus is by making things practical so people know what to do. Not only do we make them understandable, we make them practical. 
so they know what to do. All too often, Christianity is, is mysterious. Christianity is just all about information. And, and yet, the Apostle James, look what he writes. Don't just listen to God's word. Stop. Let me just, I don't know if you've ever went onto YouTube and listened to other sermons of other pastors of other areas. I, I struggle so much with this part when I'm trying to communicate God's word to you. And the reason that I struggle with it is because I want it to be something that you can live out in your life and not just hear about on Sunday, but live out on Monday. And so when I come to the end of our uh, of prepping for our time, I always ask myself the question, so what? I get all this information, so what, Bart, so what? How will this change a person's life? What do they need to do to experience this? And that's what I always struggle with. And, and, and I believe that God calls us to be so very practical. James says, don't just listen to God's word. You must, what's that word? Do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Hmm. Pathway, we focus on the practical side of following Jesus. Lastly, get this one down. We help people follow Jesus by making things relational. So we're not only understandable, we're not only practical, we try to make things relational so people feel like they belong. Um, we believe that it's all about relationships, not religion. Jesus taught that. I mean, he, he taught our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Love God, love people. I mean, those are the things that he focused in on. And, and that's what we want to focus as a church on is, is keeping things understandable, practical, relational. Those goals, along with some others, is how we help people follow Jesus. This, this concern that we have had, that I've had, the last several years, it, it lies in a narrative that captivated my attention uh, many years ago through something that, that uh, a guy named Andy Stanley, another pastor, uh, that he taught. And I, I have never been able to let this go. It, it was one of those times where I feel like it was a defining moment for who I am as a leader and pastor and, and the direction of our church. And it drives much of what we do uh, here at Pathway Church. So let me show you briefly this account, and then we'll be done for today. Acts 15, take a look at this. This is now, let me give you some context. This is now 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So he died on a cross, he was buried, and then he rose again. This is 20 years after he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven. 20 years after this, 20 years after the church began on the commission of Jesus that we read in Matthew 28. And now the church is facing a controversy. Take a look. Look at this, it's, it's, it's an issue that started in the first century, still affects us today. It's the very same thing that so many people um, experience in church today. Maybe a reason that you left church at one time, maybe it's something that holds you back. Maybe it's something that causes you to not really like church. First century church, you, you had Jews who thought that Jesus was a Jewish Messiah which he was. But they assumed that in order to become a follower of Jesus, you had to become a Jew first. They thought you had to be Jewish before you could be Christian. And so now we have these non-Jewish Gentiles who are coming to faith in Jesus, 
They have found forgiveness for their sins, and they are experiencing a relationship with God because of their faith in Jesus. And the Jewish believers were saying, hey, no, 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 wait, wait, wait just a minute. That's not how, how it works. You have to clean up your life before you can be a Jesus follower, before you can be a part of the church with us. You have to do a few things. So these Jewish believers told the Gentiles that they aren't Jesus followers until they jump through a few religious hoops. You got to talk a certain way, you got to dress a certain way, or you can't be part of the church. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. I grew up in churches like that. Let's pick up the story. Acts 15:1. Paul, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch in Syria, some men arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Oh, wait, okay, so let me, let, me, let me get this straight. So it's, you have to believe in Jesus, that he is who he says he was, the son of God, that he died on the cross, he rose again, receive the free forgiveness that he offers you. You have to have all of that, but plus you have to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus. That's what they're telling non-Jewish people. See, the Gentiles were told that they weren't Christians until they became Jewish. And guys, by the way, that meant surgery for you. Huh. The Apostle Paul knew that the message of Jesus was for Gentiles too. He knew that he was called to reach the Gentiles. And so in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas disagreed with him, arguing, I love this word, vehemently. They were ticked. Look what it says. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles, the big dogs in Jerusalem, and elders about this question. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. And I'm pretty sure that the apostle Paul told how for the last year and a half, he'd been traveling all over the Mediterranean rim and he was telling people the message of Jesus Christ and how Gentiles were coming to faith like crazy. I'm pretty sure he told them that he wasn't telling the Gentiles that they had to clean up their act first before they could come to Jesus. Acts 15 says, but then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised, here it is again, and required, now they're adding to it, and required to follow the law of Moses. <laughs> they wanted Paul and Barnabas to go back and tell these Gentiles that, it, that now not just coming to faith in Jesus wasn't enough. Once you have you know, learned and lived 613 laws of Moses and have a surgery, then you can be part of the church. Verse 8, so, I'm sorry, verse 6, though the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. This was a big issue. After a long discussion, Peter addressed them. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accept Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Peter says he made, God made no distinction between us and them. For he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? You know what Peter's saying? 
I don't have time to go into all the theology of this, but you know what Peter is saying? Guys, Jesus came and died on a cross because we couldn't keep the law. We couldn't do all that the 613 laws demand of us. And God saw it. And out of his mercy and grace, he sent his son Jesus while we were still sinners to die on a cross for us. Why are we now telling these Gentiles? They got to do all this when we couldn't even do all this ourselves. Why in the world are we expecting Gentiles who didn't grow up being taught the law to keep it? Why are we putting on their backs something that we don't keep ourselves? Peter says in verse 11, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? The same way. And then look at what happens, and this is the part that gets me. This is the part that excites me the most when I read this part coming up, verse 13. Mm, it's good. James stood and said, now who's James? James is the half-brother of Jesus. You say, well, why is that important? You can look through the Gospels on several different occasions. His brothers and even his mother didn't always believe that Jesus was who he says he was. In fact, several times they came to get him because they thought he was a little crazy in the head. Local Combese, right? He was a little crazy in the head. And they came to get him. This is the, the half-brother of Jesus who is now a follower of Jesus. And I always ask the question, what would it take for you to believe that your brother is the son of God? And now he's the leader of the church. Ultimately, James gives his life as a martyr for his faith in Jesus. James, this James, stood and said, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles, and this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. And so my judgment is, and this is, everybody's like, oh, okay, here it is. James is going to speak. Everybody listen. My judgment is that we, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. James is saying, I know God has a standard and I know there's grace in Jesus and I know this is going to get really messy, but here's what I believe. We should not make it difficult for people who are coming to Jesus. And so at Pathway Church, we are helping people follow Jesus. There's three kinds, three um, types of people that we experience and get to know. First, we're helping unchurched people follow Jesus. Unchurched people have no church background. It may be their first experience of church when they come here to Pathway Church. It could be their first exposure to the Bible. 
We, we have people who attend our church. Uh, I remember meeting this one lady years ago, and they've been her, her and her family have been here for years. And I remember talking with her when she first came, and she told me that when they first came, when she first came to our church, it was the first time she had ever been in a church. She had never been in a church even for a wedding or a funeral. That's our culture. It's who we want to reach. I remember having someone come up to me. We just enjoyed worship together not too long ago this morning. I remember having several come to me throughout the years and saying, we really enjoy the karaoke, the singing songs together, and that's what it feels like and what it appears to be like. For them, except maybe the bouncing ball's not there to follow, you know, the highlighted words across the screen. And we could do that if that, if that would help us, you know. Um, anything that we do in our worship together, if, if they come, listen to me, if they come, if unchurched people come, we should be thrilled. Treat them as our guests, because they are. At Pathway, we're helping churched people follow Jesus. Church persons, people. A church person may attend Pathway if they have just moved to the area, or maybe they haven't been to church in a while, or maybe they're not pleased with their current church, or they've had a bad experience in a previous church, and on and on the list goes. But listen, we got to realize that if a church person comes to Pathway Church, this may be their first experience with a healthy church. This may be their first experience with a casual church. This may be their first exposure to a modern church. We, like to, we don't use it, but this is kind of the thinking is this is not your grandma's church. This is kind of our approach here at Pathway. And thirdly, at Pathway, we're helping de-churched, de-churched people follow Jesus. More and more I'm reading, talking, hearing about this category. How people have walked away from church because they don't think it works. Divorce, illness, failed relationships, hurt, sin, anything has the potential to destroy one's faith in Jesus and destroy one's faith in the church. And many de-churched people have not walked away from faith. They've just lost confidence in the church. Barna Research does a lot of study about this and puts out a lot of stuff about this. And, th and that's the part that, that moves me and challenges me, and i got to be honest, kicks me in the rear as a pastor and leader of a church, is that we have so many people that are not walking away from faith, but they're walking away from church. And my question is, why and how can we change that? Most people who have left church, you know what they say? They say it's because people in churches are insensitive, petty, selfish, and mean. That's what the research is that's coming through. Insensitive, petty, selfish, and mean. We've got to realize, friends, we've got to realize that if a de-churched person comes to Pathway, this means it could be their first experience to a healthy church. I know most of you. I don't think you're mean. 
I, I know many of you and your heart for people, I don't think you're insensitive. And, and for someone coming into our church that's had a bad experience somewhere else, they, they may come in and they may find that there's, that there's wholeness here and health here. In years past, not so much now, but in years past, we would have military families that would come in and out and it'd be about every three or four years, it'd be transfers and changes and transitions and people would come and people would go, military, back and forth, back and forth. And I can't tell you, can't tell you, even just recently a family that, that moved away, I can't tell you how many times military families have said to us, my wife and I, Pathway has helped in my healing from a previous church experience. And they hated to go. If a, if a de-church person comes here, this may be their first exposure to an authentic church, to a real church. It may be their first contact with a caring church. I... I <laughs> I constantly tell people, if you're new here, I'll tell you this too, but I constantly tell people that come to Pathway, please understand, we, we want to be in your business because we want to care for you. We, we want you to know that we care for you. So don't come to Pathway if you don't want somebody to care about you. But if you do, we'd love for you to come here. This whole church thing, is about helping people follow Jesus, right? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about what I like or what you like. In fact, church isn't for you. Wow, that's a big statement, isn't it? If anything we do makes it difficult for people to come to Jesus. If anything we do makes it difficult, we will remove it. We will change it. We will do anything we can to make it easy for anyone to follow Jesus. <laughs> I, I say to our leaders behind the scenes, I don't say this too much here on, on the platform, and, but I'll say it today. Short of anything unethical, immoral, or illegal, we will do anything we can to make it easy for anyone to follow Jesus. Intentionally turning our attention to outsiders and our style, our seating, our programming, our thinking, our planning, our resourcing, our parking, our songs, our groups. Come next week when we have our business meeting and you're going to hear me share some stuff of just how God has been speaking to me about changes that we need to make, a turn that we need to take. We will do anything we can to make it easy for anyone to follow Jesus. That's what Pathway Church is all about. It's what we are all about.